Well, let me share with you something that um, I consider to be an encouraging trend. And just in all transparency, this is just my personal observation and more opinion than it is based on any type of uh, research or anything. But it seems to me that the, the younger generation is more proactive these days about seeking out those to mentor them and to guide them. Um, that, that is something that I have witnessed in both of my daughters that we did not say we think you ought to do this. It just seemed to happen. I've seen it happen in a lot of other younger people from feedback that I get. Uh, that seems to be a more common practice in the business world where younger employees are seeking out people to come alongside and mentor them. So that, um, that can be a very good thing. And I say can be because it depends on whose advice you're listening to, right? Seeking advice and looking for counsel is a good thing if we're turning to the right place, turning to the right sources for that. And uh, it can be really a problem uh, if you don't. But I love that that, that seems to be more of a trend. It, it almost, to me, seems to be the flip side, the, the opposite of the mantra in the 60s of don't trust anyone over 30. Now it seems like that it's kind of gone the other way, you know, where people are seeking that out and looking for those that are a little further down the path. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, but we need to make sure that we're, we're seeking the right type of counsel. And so today we're talking about one of the names of the Messiah, and that is the name Counselor, that, that God is our Counselor. That word in the Hebrew is exactly what you would think it would be from our English language. It means to advise or to counsel. So this counselor is one who advises or counsels. It's the same word, for example, that was used in Exodus 18 when Jethro, who was the father-in-law of Moses, gave him some advice. He saw what Moses was doing. He was trying to judge all of the cases by himself, and he knew this wasn't sustainable. It wasn't a good idea. And so Exodus 18, 19 says... Listen to me now, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. That word advice is the same word found in our passage in Isaiah 9, 6, counselor. It's the same, same root there. It's the same word that is also used when you hear of advisors to the kings. You know, the kings all had these royal advisors. That was, again, same word, counselors. Great example of that is 1 Kings chapter 12. It's right after King Solomon died, his son Rehoboam succeeded him as king. And there was another royal official by the name of Jeroboam. These names get really confusing sometimes. But Jeroboam came to Rehoboam, the new king, and he had a request. And the request was, your father has been putting very heavy uh, taxes and other burdens on us. If you will lighten the load just a little bit, we and all the people will serve you for the rest of your life. And so he said, uh, Rehoboam said, give me three days. Then come back and I'll give you an answer. And so he consulted with his counselors or his advisors. Again, same word there. And he had two sets of them, some that were older. They call them the elders. The elders said to him, their advice was this. They said, if you will heed his request and just lighten up just a little bit, the people will serve you forever. And so that was their advice was to do that. And then the younger advisors gave him this advice. They told him to say, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Which one did he listen to? He listened to the younger. He listened to the bad advice 
And so that's how he responded. And uh, as it turns out, uh, as a result, 10 of the tribes left Rehoboam and they began to follow Jeroboam. They made him king. And that's where we see this divided kingdom come in, all because he listened to the wrong advice. And so as important as it is for us to seek counsel, uh, let's make sure we're seeking it in the right place. And you know, there's a really simple way to make sure we're getting the right counsel, right? And that's to turn to God first. I mean, I know that just sounds overly simple, but if we will turn to God, if we will turn to his word and we will seek him, we're never going to get bad advice. Now, as important as it is, and I think it's important to, you know, to, to, to bounce things off other people, and to, all that's great. But my question for you today is that when, when you need counsel or you need direction in your life, where do you turn first? Do you, is the first thing you do to, to hash it out with somebody, you know, I need to say, now let me bounce this idea off of you, let me talk through this. Um, is that the first thing or is the first response, I want to turn to God first, I want to pray through this, I want to see if scripture has some, some counsel for me here that can guide me. And then once I've had a chance to do that, by all means, go to those that are wise and, then, and can provide that godly counsel. But it's a question, I think, sometimes of, of where we're turning First, And so our, our passage today, let's just read it together again. Our primary verse that, that we have been using through this study uh, in the Advent season is Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And here are his names. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's talk a little bit about this counselor that we are to turn to, and a little bit about the background. We had an opportunity Tuesday night in our Connect group to dive into this um, a little bit further and talk some about the background. The king at the time was the guy by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz was the son of Jothan, and Jothan was a great king. He, he, he honored God and everything. We don't know what happened with his son Ahaz, but he went totally the other direction, so much so that he followed one of the, what the Bible says, the detestable practices of the pagan kings. And that was, they would sacrifice their children in the fire to this pagan god, Molech. And he actually did that. Ahaz actually sacrificed one of his own sons to this pagan god. I mean, can you imagine how far away from God your heart would have to be? in order to, to do something like that. And so he was definitely not following God at all. But in Isaiah 7, a little bit before, so we, the verse we read comes from Isaiah 9. In Isaiah 7, it says that the king of Aram and the king of Israel came to attack him. But God actually sent Isaiah to Ahaz to say to him, um, this is not, you're not going to be defeated, essentially, that if you'll trust in the Lord, if you'll stand firm in your faith and trust in God, then God will deliver you. And then he says to him this, he says, ask, this is God's instruction, ask me for a sign, whatever you want, uh, and I will indicate to you that, that I am going to do this. And Ahaz's response was this. He said, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And the reason, he said, is because I don't want to put the Lord to the test. Isn't it amazing how we can spiritualize our disobedience toward God? It's like, oh, I, I, you know, I don't want to test God in this and so make it sound all spiritual. The reason he didn't ask for a sign is because he didn't trust God. And, and yet he tried to make it sound like, oh, I just don't want to put the Lord to the test. So what does he do? Instead of letting God de uh, defend him, 
He takes all the silver and the gold out of the Lord's temple and he sends it to the king of Assyria. And he tells the king of Assyria, can you come and defend me and protect me? Now you talk about putting the Lord to the test. God says, I will deliver you. And he says, no, thank you. I will turn to this pagan nation and I will take the dedicated articles out of the temple to pay him. It's pretty bad, right? And we see the, the consequences of him as the Assyrians come and later and, and just you know, completely conquer the people. So there, there are a lot of consequences for not heeding good advice, not turning to God for counsel. And so the question that that begs for us is where do we turn? You know, who, who are you listening to when it comes to seeking advice or counsel? What's the first thing we do when we need to make a decision? Well, Scripture tells us that the coming Messiah would be this counselor. That's one of the things that he would do. And we also see that in John chapter 1. The very beginning of John's gospel uh, tells us why Jesus, this coming Messiah, is qualified to be the counselor. Because it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And verse 2 says, he was with God in the beginning. So Jesus is the living Word of God who has always existed as God from the very beginning. I would say that qualifies him pretty well to give good counsel, don't you think? The living word is the one who came uh, to, to become our Messiah. So here's the first thing that I want us to see why the Messiah is our counselor, because he is and always has been the word of God. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus didn't just give us the word of God. He didn't do that, but he is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so he just embodies this, this Word of God. And in John 17, 7, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he prayed that the Father would sanctify them by the truth. And then he goes on and he uses this phrase. He says, your Word is truth. So remember, Jesus is the living Word. He has given us the word and so how do we know this truth well John 14 6 he said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me again not just that Jesus has truth he is truth and so when we are seeking counsel we turn to him it's the best thing we could ever do is to get to know the written word and the living word as well as we possibly can now, Jesus um, didn't spend a whole lot of time here on earth, right? Three decades, essentially, a little, little bit longer than that. Um, not a whole lot of time, but he came here for a very specific purpose. He came to uh, become this living word, but ultimately he came for the purpose of dying for our sins. He came to become our sacrifice, knowing that we could never be good enough for God, that we could never make our way to him on our own. So Jesus came, gave up his life for us, died in our place, rose from the dead, uh, did all of that for us. But you know, the public ministry of Jesus lasted only about three years. So stop and think about this. If, if the only impact that Jesus was able to have was in that three-year window, it would be limited to a certain degree. Now, it is true that in John's gospel, it says that if everything he did was recorded, not even all the books in the world could contain everything. So he did a lot. He packed a lot into those three years of public ministry. Uh, but you know, I don't know exactly how many people he would have interacted with over those three years. My guess is probably in the 
neighborhood of thousands somewhere, out of about 100 billion people who have ever lived. So thousands got to see and hear Jesus while he was on earth, and 100 billion have lived. So you say, okay, if that's his only impact, it's really not a lot at all. But the good news is that we have the written word and we have the opportunity to know in a personal way the word of God. But, but this church is, is where we can turn to get to know Jesus and to hear the things that he taught and to, to know him more personally. And um, I've been thinking this week just about how valuable it is that we not only have a relationship with the living word, but that we have been given the written word of God as well. And I went back and watched a clip. And by the way, I would encourage you to go watch this. There's a direct link in our online message notes. And I would encourage you to watch this little, little about a five-minute clip. Um, from, uh, it, it's from Mission Aviation Fellowship. If you're familiar with them, they translate the Bible and they take it into very remote types of areas. And so there was a tribe in Indonesia that had been waiting for 47 years to receive a copy of the New Testament in their own heart language. So they had heard of the gospel. There had been missionaries that had come in, and they had you know, portions of it and all, but they did not have their own copy in their own language. And so they were waiting for it to be delivered. And this video clip is the people, they're all lined up, and they had these remote airstrips you know, up on top of the mountains, and you've got like a really short landing strip, and it's, it's crazy kind of stuff. Um, but the people are all out there, and they're all dressed in their ceremony dress, and they're jumping up and down and, you know, screaming and dancing and just, I mean, they are so excited, and it comes in, and all the people are celebrating. Everybody's there, young, old, children, everybody, and, and they bring these Bibles out, and, and they hold this package up, and one of the local pastors begins to pray, and just thanking God for, in his time, bringing the, the word of God to them in their own language. And you look behind him, and there's this guy, and he's probably like 6'5". I mean, they're, they're usually not that big, but this guy's huge, standing behind him while he's praying. And you just see these tears just streaming down his face. And the people are just so filled with joy because they finally, for the first time, have a copy of God's word in their own language. It's really moving, but it's also very convicting. Because I think, man, how many copies do I have that I just kind of take it for granted and don't really think that much about it? And are we loving the Word of God um, like we should? Are we appreciating what an incredible gift it is that we have available to us, God's Word, in, in our own heart language in a way that we can understand? And so that's, that's one of the things, that, that's one of the great gifts that Jesus has given to us is the ability to have God's word, but then the real question becomes, okay, what do we do with it? Are we really turning to God? Are we seeking his counsel this way? You remember how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount? It was the last thing in the Sermon on the Mount. It was the story of the wise and the foolish builder. That's how he ended it. And the difference between the wise and the foolish builder, one of them, he says, was like one who built on the sand, the rains came, and it had no foundation, so the house crashed. One built on the rock, the rains came, and the winds blew, and the house stayed. The difference, it says, in each of those, he says, he who hears these words of mine, he says, and puts them into practice, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who heard these words of his and did not put them into practice was like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The difference is not that one had access to the word of God and the other did not. 
The difference is one heard the words of Jesus and did something about it. And by the way, I would point out to you the fact that Jesus, this is pretty startling if you think about this. In telling the story, Jesus didn't say who hears the law and the prophets and puts them into practice. He actually says whoever hears these words of mine, which was a really bold thing for this unknown rabbi to say. But Jesus is saying if you will take my words, because he was the word, he was the living word, if you will listen and put it into practice, uh, that's what makes all the difference in the world. And so we've been given that, but then going back to what we said a moment ago, you know, Jesus was only here for a very short period of time. He only taught for maybe a little over three years. And then what? What happens after Jesus is gone? And he prepared his disciples for that and started talking about it in John 14. And uh, he said in verse 16 that he would send this advocate and he calls him the spirit of truth. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, his coming. And then a little bit later, John 16, 13 says this. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. So the second way that Jesus is our counselor is that he sends the Holy Spirit to guide us. He is the living word, always has been, but he also gives us the spirit who then takes this word of God and takes our relationship with the living word and brings all of that to life and gives us insight. He's the the spirit of truth. Has anybody ever read something in the Bible that was difficult to understand? Have you ever read something you thought to yourself, I have absolutely no idea what that means? That happens sometimes, right? But do you know that, that God gives us the Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping us understand his word? Now, there are certain principles that we should also apply, things like reading Scripture in its context. You you don't just pull a Scripture out here and a Scripture out there. That's a bad way to build theology. Um, We we need to remember things like um, interpreting Scripture in light of other Scripture, Um, understanding the historical setting around what is being said. I mean, there there are a lot of different principles of what's called hermeneutics, Bible interpretation. There are a lot of things that, that we should follow. And as a PhD graduate from a conservative seminary, you would probably expect from me, and I do, to say those principles are really important. We need to to learn and know what we're doing when we're interpreting Scripture. But at the same time, we cannot discount the important role of the Holy Spirit in helping Scripture come to life in our hearts. Yeah, it's both and. It's, it's together. It's not one or the other. Yeah, we, we do the right principles of biblical interpretation, but then we also pray. And I would encourage you, anytime you're opening the Word of God, you know, pray and say, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Help my heart to be open. I mean, this explains why. Have you ever read something? And it's the 20th time you've read that, and, and there's something fresh in there on that day for you that you'd be like, man, I, I don't really think I've ever noticed that before because the Spirit brings the Word to, to life in us and helps us to understand and to be able to apply it to our lives. On Tuesday morning of this week, I did something that I don't do very often, and that is I had a breakfast meeting. And I don't say that I don't do that very often, not because I don't like to eat, because I can always eat. Uh, but I don't do many breakfast meetings for this reason. I've discovered that my most productive time in creating is in the morning, earlier mornings, and I'm able to get a lot more done, and so I value that time, and I protect that time, so I don't do a lot of meetings in the mornings, but I did on this case because um, there was a missionary friend of mine uh, who our church supports, and 
he was going to be in town uh, doing some training on Monday night. And there's a young couple who is new to the mission field that our church has a relationship with and supports. And they're here. They're they actually, he grew up here in our church. And they're back for a little while. And I, I want to get those, I want to get them together. And so I scheduled a meeting, a breakfast meeting on Tuesday morning and, and um, had the opportunity to sit down with it. And it was just absolutely fascinating. Both of them are focused on taking the gospel to Muslim people in very hard-to-reach countries. Uh, Brian has been doing it for a long time. This other couple, actually, you'll get to meet them Sunday. Uh, they'll be up on stage with us, and we're going to pray over them on Sunday. Uh, but they are just starting out. So they've been in language school and learning Arabic and just kind of learning culture and, and getting ready. But I thought, I want this young couple to meet Brian because he's about as good as it gets in, in, in the things that he knows and has done. And it was fascinating to me to sit and listen to the conversation. I already said two words the whole breakfast. I just, it was awesome. I'm just I'm listening and they're swapping stories and they, they understand one another's world, you know, and, and uh, it was just so cool. And, and then the question came up and it was a wonderful question. The question was this, like, we're receiving a lot of training. There are all these different methods that we're being taught of how to, the question was, but how does that tie into our need to depend on the Holy Spirit? And it was a great question. And Brian answered it this way. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, I, I was sharing the gospel with a, a Muslim man. And by the way, the way they go about that, and it's a, it's a brilliant approach, is that uh, rather than coming in and saying, you know, let me tell you why you're wrong, and you know, your book's stupid, and your prophet was awful, you know, you can imagine how, how far that's going to go when that's your approach to try to witness to, to Muslims. No, their approach is to say, Okay, there are some things in the Quran that are also in the Bible, so there's some common ground there. Let's start with that common ground and then point toward Jesus through that. And so the strategy is to talk about the need for a sacrifice and all that. But, so he often starts with the story of Adam. Uh, but Brian was saying this. He said there are certain details included in the Bible that are not included in the Quran. So a big part of their training is don't bring in these details that they don't have in their holy book because it just creates confusion, you know, and it raises questions. An example of that is after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that they were hiding from God. And God came and he asked the question, where are you? Remember that? Genesis 3, verse 9, God calls out to Adam, where are you? But they never include that because that's not in the Quran and they could create confusion. So he's having a conversation with this guy and they're talking about Adam. And he senses the Holy Spirit saying, tell him about where I asked, where are you? And Brian said, I'm talking to this guy and in my head I'm arguing with God saying, that's not how we do it. Right? We don't, and so he's back and forth, and then finally he's like, okay, I just followed the direction of the Holy Spirit. It went totally against the training, which he is the trainer. He's the one telling people, don't do this, right? But he said, I just sensed the Holy Spirit leading me to do that. And, and, and so he said, uh, and God came and asked Adam, where are you? And sure enough, the guy said, where are you? Why, why would God, who knows everything, ask, where are you? And Brian said this, just popped in his head. He never thought of this before, but he said, you ever played hide-and-go-seek with your daughter? The guy kind of looked at him and said, how do you know I have a daughter? And he said, well, I don't. But I, you ever played hide-and-go-seek with your daughter, and, and you come into the room, and she's hiding somewhere, and you really know where she is, but, um, but you're just wanting her to identify herself. You know, you call out asking, where are you, uh, so that she can say, here I am. And, and he said, so you walk into the room, and you say, Sarah, Sarah, where are you? And he said, the guy's face just got as white as a sheet. And he said, how did you know my daughter's name is Sarah? He didn't. 
but he was following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Actually, after that, he said he kind of shut down the conversation pretty quick because he got a little freaked out. You know, he's like, I'm not sure what I'm dealing with here. And, and that, that, you know, conversation ended. But the Holy Spirit knew, right? And, and there are those times, guys, where, where we just need to follow that prompting of the Holy Spirit. That is a gift that Jesus has given us. Yes, he's given us his word and we should go to his word. But he's also given us the Spirit, to prompt us in certain directions at times. And, and, and the real question then is, okay, how do we know when we're listening to the Holy Spirit? You ever wonder that? Is this just my thought? Is it my idea? Uh, am I fooling myself into thinking that God is leading me in a certain direction? So, so how do we know? And there, there are a couple of things um, that are really important. And the first one is that we just have to listen on a regular basis. We need to, to develop that discipline of listening to God regularly because there's so much noise out there, right? A lot of it's internal, some of it's external. Sometimes we just have to quiet the noise inside of us because when we see God speak, a lot of times what we see is God speaking in a whisper. He's not going to shout over all the noise. So if we're going to listen to and follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit... We need to be listening. And, and tied to that um, is the second thing, and that is that we just learn to recognize his voice. The longer we listen, the more we recognize his voice. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep recognize my voice. How does a sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd? Because the shepherd is the one who's always talking. They, they hear it over and over and over again, and they become uh, accustomed to it, and they can recognize the voice of their shepherd over the voice of another shepherd. We listen, and we, we listen to the, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then the most important thing is when the Holy Spirit prompts, we follow. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's like, that's not how we do this. You know, I'm the trainer, and I tell everybody, don't do that. But if the Holy Spirit says... This is the direction I want you to go, or this is what I want you to do. This is the conversation that I want you to have. Then act immediately. You know, it's so funny. I was literally writing this portion of the sermon on Thursday, kind of finishing up Thursday morning, and one of our staff members knocked on my door, knowing that this is my study time and, and doesn't normally come in during that, that time to interrupt. And she said, hey, I've prayed about this. Do you have a minute? I just need to talk to you. And I said, absolutely. Come on in. And so we talked, and um, she proceeded to say, I know this is not really my, my area, and, and shared some insight about a decision that I needed to make. And she had some insight that I did not have, or actually, I really had it available to me, but I wasn't thinking about it. And she said, I, I just felt like I needed to come and share this with you. Uh, and then, you know, you do what you want to do, and you decide, and, uh, but, but I, I wanted to share that. And I said, thank you so much, because... By her following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it actually helped me make a better decision. And so when you, when you get that, that sense of, man, I need to have this conversation, or I need to speak up, or whatever it is, follow that prompting. And don't you appreciate those people in your life that will do that? Don't you appreciate those people in your life who will speak up? You know, I like to look at it as, you know, the people that will tell you if your fly is open. You know, you got a booger hanging out your nose, or whatever it is. I mean, we need those people, Right? We need those people that will tell us the truth. I mean, it's great to be surrounded by people that are always patting you on the back and encouraging and all that. But, but we're, we become better when there are those people that say, hey, you know, let, me, let me just share this with you. You might need to know this, right? Yeah. 
I wondered, by the way, when I said that, how many people were going to be doing this out there after I, after I said that. <laughs> Here's the encouraging part, and I'll, I'll kind of try to wrap things up with this. You know, the reason for all of this is that God wants to know us in a personal way. That, that's what's encouraging to me about all the things that we're talking about here. The, the, the Holy Spirit in our lives is about us knowing him intimately, about him, us knowing him personally. And the whole gospel story is about us knowing this living word, right? Jesus came to this earth to become a sacrifice for our sins. That's his whole purpose. That's why he came. He gave his life. He suffered and died for me and for you. Do you know why? Because you matter. Because your life matters. Because God loves you and cares about having a relationship with you. And so if you've never come to a point of accepting that gift that he's offered, man, by all means, start there by saying, Jesus, I believe that, that I can know you personally, that you died for me, that you gave yourself for me. But then once you do come to know him, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is maybe the most underappreciated gift that God gives us, the ability to know him more, the ability to have him direct us and guide us and prompt us into certain things that maybe sometimes don't make a lot of sense, but we're following the Spirit's lead. I think go back to the words of Jesus into the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the one who builds on the rock. I suspect that some of us are, are needing God's counsel right now. We're needing direction. And maybe you have an, an important decision you need to make, something you've been wrestling with, and it could very well be that you've thought through every detail of it, every aspect of it. Maybe you've run it by 10 different people you haven't talked to God about it. You haven't come to, to God to say, would you direct me in this? Or maybe, quite honestly, you are asking God about it, but you're not hearing the answer yet. Can I just encourage you to say, in his timing, in his way, God will lead us. He gives that spirit to us to lead us into those things. The key is, when he leads and when he speaks, we have to be willing to put into practice what he says. Let's pray. Lord, today I do pray that we follow your lead. I thank you so much that you are our counselor. I thank you that we're not left on our own to try to figure it out on our own, but you give us your word, you give us the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift that is, Lord. So thank you for that. And today I pray that we have the wisdom to seek you, to turn to you, and to allow you to lead us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.